Well, greetings, friends, and welcome back to Catechesis, a teaching series aimed to instruct in foundational Christian doctrine and to encourage obedience amongst the people of God. My name is Joe Anity. For those who don't know me, I serve as pastor of Emmaus Reformed Baptist Church in Hemet, California, and I'm happy that you've joined me today. In this 10th lesson, we will be considering questions 11 and 12 of the Baptist Catechism. Question 11 asks, how doth God execute his decrees? You can say does if you'd like. How does God execute his decrees? And the answer is that God executeth or executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. So question 11 is rather brief and simple. Question 12 then asks, what is the work of creation? The answer is that the work of creation is God making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. I think it is probably worth noting that questions 12 through 15 of the Baptist Catechism flow directly from the answer that is given to question 11. Again, question 11 says that God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. Question 12 then asks, what is the work of creation? And question 13, how did God create man? Question 14, what are God's works of providence? And finally, question 15, what special act of providence did God exercise towards man in the estate wherein he was created? And so here in questions 11 through 15, we have a little section dealing with the question, how does God execute his decrees? This is an important question, now that we have said that the decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. The natural question is, how does God bring that which he has decreed to be? How does God see to it that his eternal purposes are, in fact, accomplished? And our catechism recognizes that there are two stages to the execution or carrying out of God's decree. First, creation, and then providence. God decreed what he decreed in eternity past before anything was made. Then God created, and after God finished his work of creation, he providentially preserves and governs all of his creatures and their actions. That is what is being taught here in our catechism in these series of questions. This distinction between creation and providence is helpful. In both of these activities, God is carrying out his decree, but God works differently in creation and providence. Whereas in creation, God worked in a most direct and supernatural way, in providence, God most often works through means as he governs through natural processes. Uh, But I am getting ahead of myself here just a little bit. For now, let us be content to answer the question, how does God execute his decrees, by saying God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. Next, our catechism asks, what is the work of creation? And this answer is a bit longer. The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. You'll notice that there are five parts to this answer. One, the work of creation is God making all things. So here we have another very important distinction, the distinction between God, the creator, and his creation. Every single thing that exists must be placed into one of these two categories. There is the creator, 
and then there is creation. This distinction must always be maintained. Never should it be blurred. God is not a creature. He is the creator. And everything that exists owes its existence to him, whereas God owes his existence to no one. Two, the work of creation is God making all things of nothing, our catechism says. When you and I create something, we image God. God is the creator, and we have the capacity to create things. But when we create, we create using pre-existing material. Not so with God. When he created, he created out of nothing. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the heavenly realm, where the angels dwell and where he manifests his glory. And he created the earthly realm, which is the visible world in which we live. These he created from nothing. When the earthly realm was first made, it was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. This is Genesis 1, 2 through 5. So when God created, he created initially out of nothing, and then he did form and fashion some of the things that he made out of the things which he had previously made, man being the supreme example of this. Remember that God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so I think it would be good for you to stop for a moment and to think about the implications of God being the creator of all things in heaven and on earth. If God created all things, then all things belong to him. All things are for him and for his glory, ultimately. This does not take away from the truth that what God has made, he made for us. Uh, Truly, he made the world a place suitable for human habitation, and he filled this world with many very pleasant things that we enjoy. But here I am saying that ultimately, heaven and earth are his. All of creation was made by God to bring glory to his name. I do think that the Christian should grow accustomed to seeing the created world in this way. When we go outside and look up at the mountains, the clouds, and the blue sky, we should think, this is my Father's world. When we look upon the sun and the moon and the stars, we should be moved to give praise to God. When we eat tasty food and enjoy companionship with others, we should do so with thankfulness in our hearts, for it is God who has given these good gifts to us in the world that he has made. This is God's world. This is his handiwork. This is his creation, and we should never forget it. Three, our catechism says that creation is God's making all things out of nothing by the word of his power, by the word of his power. Genesis 1 testifies to this. Uh, The repeated refrain in the creation narrative is, and God said, and God said, And God said. And so it is clear that when God created, he did so by speaking the world and heaven into existence. He created by the word of his power. But the New Testament brings greater clarity when it reveals that this word of God was and is a person, namely the second subsistence of the triune God. John 1, 1 through 3 speaks to this, saying, In the beginning was the word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, that is to say, the Word, and without him was not anything made that was made. Later on in John chapter 1, we learn that that Word took on flesh and dwelt among us. It is a reference here to Jesus the Christ. And so, not only did God create by speaking, but he created through the Word of God, that is, the second subsistence or person of the triune God. Hebrews 1-2 also says that God created through the Word, saying, But in these last days he, God, has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So we see that uh, here again, uh, God created all things from nothing by the word of his power. And then finally, Colossians 1.15 through 16 says, Concerning Jesus the Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So this last verse in Colossians is very helpful It clarifies that all things, that is, things in heaven and earth, things visible and invisible, were created through and for the eternal Son of God, who is the eternal Word of God. We would do well to notice that the Holy Spirit was also active in creation. Uh, You can uh, look for yourself at Genesis 1, 1 through 3. Uh, And so we see that creation was the act of the triune God, God the Father created through the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. The very same thing might be said of our salvation. We are saved by the will of the Father through the obedience of the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, when we pray to God, we are to pray to the Father in the name of the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything comes back to and is to give glory to the triune God. For Our catechism says that creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days. The scriptures are clear that when God created the heavens and earth, he did so in six days' time. In other words, from the moment that God called the heavenly realm and the earthly realm into existence to the completion of creation, six days' time had passed. Not only does Genesis 1 teach this, But other passages also say so. For example, Exodus 20, verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Clearly, these days were unusual days. For the sun, moon, and stars, by which we measure time, were not created until day four. Nevertheless, Genesis 1 speaks of evening and morning. Genesis 1 speaks of days of creation. And the rest of Scripture confirms that God created in six days and he rested on the seventh. It should be clear to all that God did not need six days to create the heavens and earth, nor did he need rest on the seventh. God did not break a sweat when he created. In other words, it did not take God six days to create. Rather, God took six days to create. The question that we should ask is why. 
And the answer is to communicate something to man and to establish a pattern for him. Adam was to follow God's pattern. He was to work and then enter into eternal rest after the successful completion of his work. But he failed, as you know. Instead of obeying God, he ate of the forbidden tree and entered into death instead. The pattern of six and one remained for man after sin entered the world. Man was still to work six days and to rest and worship on the seventh. This was a reminder of the covenant of works which had been broken. This pattern of six and one also anticipated the arrival of one who would succeed where Adam failed, Christ Jesus our Lord. He, being the second Adam and the Savior of the world, worked, that is to say he obeyed God perfectly in all things, and he entered into eternal rest at the right hand of the Father, all authority in heaven on earth being given to him, And if we are united to him by faith, we too have entered into this rest, though we await the consummation of all things, of which the Sabbath day is a picture. It is because we live in this time between Christ's ascension and the consummation of all things in the new heavens and new earth that we, today, as the people of God, rest and worship on Sunday, which is the first day of the week. The pattern of resting one day out of seven remains. Why does it remain even still to this day? Why must we work and rest and rest and work? Why does this pattern of resting one day out of seven remain? Well, it is because we have not yet entered into the new heavens and new earth. Again, this is the rest which is signified by the Sabbath day. But we worship on the first day, and not the seventh, as they did prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, because Christ, the second Adam, has fulfilled that covenant of works which Adam broke, and he has entered into the rest that was offered therein. I'm getting out ahead of myself just a little bit by talking about the Sabbath. I understand that. Um, But it is important that I do, I think, here at this juncture, because the Sabbath was instituted at creation, and it was commanded in the fourth of the Ten Commandments. Here I'm wanting you to see the connection between God taking six days to create and the covenant of works that was made with Adam in the garden, which had rest as its reward for obedience. This was the covenant that Christ fulfilled. He has entered into rest, and we rest in him, but because we await the consummation, we still have this pattern to rest one day out of seven. The pattern for us under the new covenant, which is the covenant of grace, is rest followed by work instead of work which leads to rest, and this pattern corresponds to the nature of the covenant of which we are partakers, namely the covenant of grace. Fifthly and lastly, our catechism says that creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. Not everything in the world today is good, let alone very good. But this is due to sin. When God created the world, everything was, in fact, very good. When he created man, man was upright and holy. And this is what Genesis 1.31 testifies to, saying, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So how does God execute his decrees? The answer is that God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. 
And what is the work of creation? The answer is that the work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. Until next time, brothers and sisters, abide in Christ.